0: Welcome to The Age Stage. My name is Paula Dunn and I'm joined today by Steve Myers. How are you, Steve?
1: Oh, very good, Paula, and thank you for having me on board. Thank you for coming
0: in. Yes, <laughs> You've got uh, no idea how glad I am be here. being on The Age
1: Stage. It's wonderful.
0: <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> so um, today, The Age Stage is a program that looks at issues uh, and matters related to older Australians and made possible by The Village Baxter, The Village Glen and Encore Living for that regional alternative. And today on the program, Steve, we have Sam Dickerson from Inspired Funerals. She's going mm. to have a chat to us later. Fantastic. But before we do that, we're joined by Peter Nelson from the Village Glen. Welcome, Peter.
2: Yeah, good, good, good morning. I was stuttering <laughs> a bit. Didn't I just <laughs> lost my words.
0: And Kim Jackson <laughs> yes. from the Village Baxter. Welcome, Kim. Thank you. Good nice to, be to see you guys, again. Good to see you. Yeah. Mm. So what are we going to be talking about today, guys?
2: Well, I think, Kim, last week yep. we introduced the eight-point plan and, and talked about our industry code of conduct, mm. which is out there for public comment. There's um, a bit of a watershed, Mo, Kim, industry-wise, wasn't there? It is. Yeah. It's
3: really impressive to have seen so much work done in the last 12 months and all come together so quickly in mm. one important document that's out there for everyone to comment on, mm. um, providers and Residents
0: and potential residents, family members. And how long are people of the public given to view it and make comment?
2: We, we've got uh, the next month to six weeks yeah. uh, for people to think about it. Yeah, hmm. And then as an industry, and the industry is not just the Retirement Living Council, it's also AXA, which represents the not-for-profits, and LASA, mm-hmm. which represents aged care mm-hmm. and not-for-profits, and are they all are- together, all on board. In fact... Got an email today, Kim. Did you get an email about AXA?
3: I did, encouraging us to read and respond to the code.
2: Yes. Oh. And that, now, that may not sound significant to you or the mm-hmm. audience, but to us uh, as an industry, mm-hmm. we've really had for a long time three different silos of, of peak bodies. And I, I'd be fair to say we haven't had a lot of cooperation between the three. No,
3: there's always been a clear sort of delineation between the three mm-hmm. on different... Matters, But mm. this issue
2: has brought them into the room. Um, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, it yeah. is. It's
3: terrific to see the industry come together in those three peak bodies and what representing such
2: different parts of the industry. What
0: do you think has done that? Has
2: well, it- that's a very good question. Yeah. Very insightful. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Well done, Let me tell you what's done that. I think is uh, in New South Wales uh, prior to Christmas... Post the Ao thing, mm. the New South Wales New Liberal Government appointed uh, Catherine Reiner, um, Dr. Catherine Reiner, is
3: it? yes, I believe so, um,
2: as to do an inquiry into the industry, and she and she held public hearings, etc. And then they've just publicised the results of that inquiry, and she made a number of recommendations. One of which was, in her view, the industry should have a code of conduct. Mm-hmm. Now, the, f- the state government in their wisdom not only have embraced that recommendation but are going to make it mandatory in their act. So the Retirement village Act in New South Wales is going to insist that all villages subscribe to a code of conduct, which they don't have. There is mm-hmm. no code of conduct. So I think AXA, in their wisdom, have recognised, oh, hang on a minute, the government are going to regulate us further. We do have a code of conduct on the table uh, for discussion, that's been prepared by by the industry bodies. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't we all embrace that and then suggest to the New South Wales government put this in your legislation? Mm-hmm. Save a lot of people, a lot of angst. Mm-hmm. Um, there's always a risk in any industry when government regulate that you get outcomes you don't deserve or want. Yes, want. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And as a, as you will know, when people change laws, there's always unintended consequences mm-hmm. by. By others who write laws who don't really understand the industry, they're writing laws to to um, regulate. Mm-hmm. Whereas the industry do know their onions, as it were, mm-hmm. yeah. and and this document re- represents really a lot of people putting a lot of time into looking at what we do and how can we do it better. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking that's why Axa have said, oh, hang on, here's an opportunity, a little window of opportunity." Yeah, that if our members embrace this and then write to uh, the, the peak bodies and saying this is the amendments we need, and then we all present that to the New South Wales government. Maybe that's the first uh, embodied code of conduct in the nation. Mm. Yeah. wow, and that's yeah. exciting, really. It is. It, is. it yeah. is. Yeah, yeah.
0: Could we just for a moment explain to our listeners what the acronym means, AXA?
2: Ah, uh, we could, Kim.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Age
3: care um, A. Aged Care, it's not the standards Services. agency. Services, Services Australia. Australia, oh, that's okay. it. Aged yes. Care. And states. they represent the not-for-profit sector yep. in uh, retirement living, aged care, community
0: care and mm. um, all things, yeah. yeah. ageing. I know we live mm. in a world of acronyms. We do. And we do. Um, quite. it's a, a yeah. real pet of mine that, you know, well, yeah. what does that actually mean? <laughs> yes. So yes. I can hear people out there just <laughs> saying, what are they about? And to put that
2: doing? into perspective, I suppose... Village Glen would not be able to join AXA because we are a for-profit organisation. Ah. So to be a member of AXA you You've must have got to be, be, a not-for-profit.
3: A not-for-profit. You must be a not-for-profit. And that's the only
2: that's the only one currently that has a rule like that. We're members of the RLs, the Retirement Living Council, mm-hmm. and we don't have that sort of qualification. You can be a not-for-profit or for-profit mm. or, or whatever. Mm. I think LASA, the other peak body, is the same as us. You don't. Yep. There's no qualification in yeah. terms of being not-for-profit or for-profit, mm-hmm. but Astra have always had that view mm. that they represent the not-for-profits.
0: Okay, mm. very interesting. Mm. Mm. And so we're looking at moving... Moving into the community, isn't it, Kim? Yes. Yeah.
3: The code of conduct separated into three general parts. There's a general information at the start, but then there's three sections: moving into the community, living in the community, and then leaving the community. Mm-hmm.
0: That are really quite focused on. Um, mm. So we're going to look at yeah. moving into the community, aren't we? We are.
2: Yeah. We we thought yeah today we'll just do that and okay. on another program, looking living in the community yes. and then another program the final section is moving out. Mm. Mm. And mm. Each, yeah. each of those have clearly different criteria Yes, mm. uh, that we as an industry need to be totally transparent about yep. um, because, in essence, that was what the um, Four Corners program was criticising, is we were not transparent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Mm.
0: And so moving into the community, what should we be looking at? The
3: first part of the moving into the community section talks about marketing and selling the community and sets minimum standards for that about how transparent people be. You have to comply with state and territory legislation Mm -hmm. and the regulations, and that your marketing materials, legal, honest, uh, truthful, clear, um, accurate and consistent. So Mm -hmm. you're not getting one message from one particular Mm. flyer, Mm -hmm. different information sheet, giving something else. It all has to be really clear and Mm. consistent.
0: And do we think that that's happening now?
2: I I think the good thing about this... As a code is, it's going to put the emphasis back on us as operators that all our staff are trained to the same level. Mm. I think yeah. that's the issue. There, mm. like in our village, where we're a one-village business, as is like Kim's now two-village two business. <laughs> but you've got the the, the um, listed ones, Aveo and Stockland and and Lease, who who have you know upwards of eighty villages. So clearly, they've got thousands of staff. And it's very difficult in a sales environment, particularly if people are rewarded um by commission. Mm-hmm. Mm. So sometimes, mm. you, you, because commissions are, are an incentive to sell, aren't they not?
0: Yes, they are.
2: And sometimes an incentive to sell uh, on some products isn't good.
0: Yes, that's you true. Need
2: you can, mm. sometimes people aren't as transparent as they could be mm. f- fearing they might risk the sale. Yes, mm. and particularly
3: mm. when there's KPIs attached to yes. how many yes. sales you achieve. Yes. And Just look yeah. at
2: the, the Banking Commission. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Read <laughs> my there, mind. There's a program <laughs> yeah. the program. To get an understanding of what I'm suggesting. Yeah, exactly. yeah. And I'm not suggesting for any mm. for a moment any of those companies are doing that. Mm. I'm saying there's a perception yes. that that might be happening. Mm. So mm-hmm. having a code where we as owners have to sign off annually Mm. that we've complied with the code there's an implied theory there isn't it kim that we must train our staff better yes Mm. so that everyone gets the same message no matter who they talk to exactly everyone being our clients yeah Yeah, yes
0: and and so does that put a cap on upselling you know like would you like fries with that sort of No, you can upsell, absolutely. You just need to be really clear about About
3: what what it is you're upselling Mm -hmm. um, and that what you're upselling is actually available. That's Um, right, um, yes. For example, in both our circumstances, we have villages with attached for time, uh, with attached aged care. Yeah. But I know we're very careful in saying the aged care facility's here, but there's no guarantee a place is going to be there Mm. when you need it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, we operate on full occupancy. There is always a waiting list. Mm. Mm. Some of those things, families and residents need to be really clear about when they're moving in, Mm. just the types of services that are available. And that's actually one of the points Under the marketing and selling is
0: that you need Mm -hmm. to be clear about what services, the
3: type of accommodation, those sorts of things.
0: So if a couple were, okay, let's say what in their late 60s, early 70s and deciding to go into a community, would you give them a copy of the code of Conduct, conduct and say, have a read of it? Or is it more for operators? No,
2: no, the Code of Conduct must be on display. Yep. Okay. And, right. and people can yeah. get it. Yeah. So
0: you would suggest for them to have... Absolutely. I mean, yeah. 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 Mm. Mm. I think it's a the, good thing.
3: Yeah. Yeah. When the draft is done, there will end up mm. being a one-page summary. Yeah. And I would think yeah. most of us will have that in our marketing materials. Okay.
2: See, so at the moment, it's a 38-page it document. Is. Yes. And Paula, I'm thinking if we just... Someone walked in and said, hey, read this. Yeah, <laughs> Overwhelmed. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely overwhelmed. We, yeah. do, we do need clearly a summary, yeah. and mm. then that summary can point people to the fine detail should they wish to know it. Mm. Yes. But I think the, the theory with this is that the comforting factor is that people know there is a code of conduct yes. that people are subscribing to, and should people step out of line in any one of the sections of the code, there is some form of disciplinary procedures to mm. deal with that mm. rather than going to court. Yes, which, exactly which no one wants to do because no. it's too expensive, yeah, yeah.
3: No. and it's good mm. for the industry because it helps us all set a new minimum
0: standard for everybody mm. Mm. and I th- I, it'd be so reassuring for the resident to know that it, you know if disputes happen or something happens that there is a some there's a guideline, yeah, I think human nature. Some of us, maybe not us, Steve, but <laughs> human nature—you know—they like likes guidelines. It yeah. sort of feel, feels feels safe, likes certainty. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: yeah. Yeah, yes. mm. A little bit of uncertainty and life's always exciting, but not when you're dealing with your living
0: circumstances and mm. contracts.
3: Or yeah. money. All y- money. Y- money, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Money
2: indeed, yeah.
0: So what are some of the other things that we um, need to look at? Contracts, terms and conditions is
3: also part of mm. the, um, the code for moving into a village. So the disclosure information that we all have to provide now, um, but we actually have to provide a copy of the Code of Conduct with our disclosure information.
2: And and what the Code does, it it makes it consistent Australia-wide, Where, as we've talked before in other programs, each state has their own regulations and and Retirement Villages Act and they they are not consistent Australia-wide. No. So this sort of becomes an overarching document Mm. that sets the scene, no matter what jurisdiction you're in, of what the guidelines should be. Mm. So I'm thinking this document, Kim, eventually will standardise legislation.
3: Yeah, it's probably where we're going to end up eventually with mm, all states yeah. having well, to yeah. it makes sense, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah,
2: but, yeah, but, um, yeah it does. Yeah. That's yeah. what
1: I was going to ask, actually, because you've been referring mm. this as something being prepared for New South Wales, but are the other states looking at adopting this?
2: Well, this is from the peak body, which is Australia-wide. Right. Uh, but we as the peak deal with all the various states. So mm. the RLC is a committee of 20 people, made up of representatives from all of the states. And I'm on that from Victoria right. with a couple of other Victorians. And there are other members from Western Australia, etc. Mm. Yeah, so this is a, a document that is proposed to be an umbrella over the right. whole of Australia. Everyone, yeah. And but we drill down into the various states for their legislation. Sure. So it's just so happens that Catherine Goyna recommended it and the state government of New South Wales has picked it up and has said we're going to put this into legislation. Mm, mm. So that's a great thing, I think. Yeah, Yeah. I think it
1: is. Is it possible that, say, for example, Victoria comes along and says, yes, we'd like that, but we'd like this particular clause changed. Is it possible that there's various sort of negotiations that can be done state to state, or would you be looking at everyone adopting exactly the same?
2: No, the the code is a living document. So yeah. this this version, version 1, shall we call it, because it's just been released, in 10 years' time won't look anything like it, I'm sure. sure. Okay, yeah. so, so it's, it's a living evolving. document. That's mm-hmm. good, that's yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: And it's amazing to think that this 38 pages will come down to, a, I think you said, a page, Kim. Yeah. There will be yeah. like a single-page checklist, yeah. which I yeah. think is actually in there
3: yeah. a few pages mm-hmm. long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it will take time for all the states to harmonise. Mm. The occupational health and safety legislation has finally mm. been harmonised. I mm. believe WAs WA finally come on board. Mm. Um, and that took years to get everyone on the same page because everyone wanted to do things just a little bit differently. differently. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Turf yeah. wars. That,
0: yeah, yes, <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> We might go to a break, Steve. Yes. And probably. we'll be back soon with more of The Aged Age Stage. And welcome back to The Aged Age Stage. And we're talking with Peter Nelson from the Village Glen and Kim Jackson from the Village Baxter. And we're, we'll continue on talking about this um, code, Kim.
3: We will. One of the things that's made really clear in the code is there's five things that we have to provide written information about. Mm -hmm. So the first one is the retirement community including its facilities. So that means, in short, mean, what their the buildings? Or, yeah. yeah, what the village is and what facilities are provided at that village, okay. which for established villages is fairly obvious. Like, you know, Village Baxter has a bowling green and some yep. community buildings and
0: they've all been there a long time. Mm-hmm. But if you're a new and developing village, mm. you need to be clear about what facilities you have. And mm. would that be where the Village Glen, Peter, would have to say we have tea tree as a facility...
2: No. no. I think It's more to the point, as Kim just said, is if you're building a new village, you, typically when a new village starts, the, the first thing they build is units and yep. and and they might share a unit for community facilities to start with and they're planning to build an, a Taj Mahal, if you oh, like. Oh, okay, yes. Mm-hmm. And then... Let's say, for argument's sake, uh, something goes wrong and they don't build the Taj Mahal. Mm-hmm. Well, the people who've bought their units... Oh,
0: are expecting... ...clearly yes. been let down. Yeah. Mm. So
2: this is saying you have to enunciate what the value proposition is, what is the deal... Yep. ...so mm. that as mm. they build it in stages, these things
0: mm. are done. Yes. So we're
2: committing to do them. So mm. there's a big... When you move into a new village, there's a clearly a big bit of trust on the purchasers... Absolutely. ...that what's in front of them is going to happen. Yes. This document... It indeed addresses that Mm -hmm. so that if indeed you're in a village where the proprietor changed the rules or changed his plans or their plans, the resident's got somewhere to go. Hang on a minute, you know, Mm. you've, you've, you've... You've Mm. actually said this is happening in a code of conduct Mm. and then they can ask the peak bodies to do something about it. Mm. Mm. So that, you know,
0: they don't end up with their marigold hotel instead of the (laughs) yeah. yeah. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with the marigold hotel. No, I (laughs) rather like it. (laughs) (laughs) The next
3: one is you've got to be clear about the retirement community operator and the role of the village manager. Mm, and
0: what does that actually mean? That
3: means that there's a lot of villages that are alone owned by a lot of companies. Some are owned by listed companies. Some uh, are just groups that own multiple ones. So right. you need to make it really clear who is the operator and what's the role of the manager. Like, Can the manager mm. resolve disputes, take maintenance um, inquiries, or do mm. they have to be filtered up through some other different Mm. department that's not actually on site. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Now, we talked, I think, a couple of weeks ago about how people who work in your industry often come from varied fields. They do. Um, So an operator who is a manager, would they necessarily come from a management background or is it more uh, like yourself, Kim, a nursing background or...? More of a corporate background, because I think you said yourself, Peter, you were originally a surveyor. surveyor. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, which is interesting, you know, that people mm. from all walks of life end up in this industry. Yeah. People come to
3: the industry absolutely from all walks of life, mm. and even into the bigger companies from all walks of life. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, yeah typically, managers mm. or villagers are people in their mid to late working lives, mm-hmm. would that be fair, yeah. Kim? Yeah, and they've had another mm. career before they take on that career. Yes, and a lot of them come bring to the job uh, management skills in in other sectors. Yes, and then hone those skills into this new sector. In mean, mm. my case, clearly I'm a, a trained surveyor, but for the last ten or so years of my career in that career, I was a manager, mm. a business mm. owner, and a manager. So yeah. mm-hmm. even yes. though I had those skills, yes. I didn't use those skills. On a day-to-day basis, I was yep. managing other people yes. who had those skills also. Mm. And I think that yeah.
0: would be one of the major um, skills to have is managing people because yes. that's basically Absolutely. what it's you're doing. a people doing. business. Absolutely, yeah. it's a yeah. people business. Yeah. It is. Yeah.
2: And it's important yeah. to know who the owner of the village is. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure it is, and and so some managers are not empowered in their villages. Mm. Uh, and that's an important thing to know. It
3: is a lot of the little yeah. country villages have the mum and dad on-site managers, where the generally speaking, the wife is a nurse, the husband's a handyman, and they
0: manage the village.
1: More so, operational managers. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. And that's a huge um, load on yeah. them responsibility mm. these days. Mm. More so, I would think. And that's a very different structure to a village Glen or a village Baxter. Yeah, you have Um,
3: Mm. multiple people that don't live on site um, Mm. from professional backgrounds. So it is important that when someone buys into a village, Mm. they do know who is the manager and
0: what is their role. Yes. Are there many Mm. of those really small villages around? You know, lot. Are are there? Yeah. Particularly
2: in the in the rural areas. Yes. Yeah. Like. In a lot of country towns, the, the local Rotary Club or Apex mm-hmm. Club mm-hmm. run a not-for-profit village oh, okay. of 20 units. Yeah. Um, now, this code should have become mandated in all states in the legislation. Is going to make those people uh, think long and hard about training of the of the manager. Yes. Whereas at the moment, mm. it's a little bit seat of pants yeah. operations, and that, I'm not being critical. No, I'm no. Just saying that's, that's what it's real. like. Yeah. Um, mm. And. Clearly, to to be signing up for the code, you have to have other training, etc. It's mm. yes. all about training, I think. Yes. Yeah. yes yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Training and awareness. Yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. yeah.
0: Well, in, in any professional field, you yeah. should do professional training for your field to like keep your skills up. Continuous improvement is, absolutely. A, is yeah. a modern term. Yeah. Exactly. De- yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. 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 yeah you have to be really clear about the type of accommodation that's available Mm -hmm. because not all villages are just standalone units they have um, service departments Um, some even have supported residential services on site
4: Mm -hmm.
3: Um, there are lots of different types of retirement living accommodation Mm. so you need to be really clear about what sort it is because some of those come with added services yes
0: Um, yeah it's all the add-ons Or not so much the adults. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's the next thing you
3: need to be really clear about is Mm. the services that are available.
0: Mm. Um, And that's to ensure
3: people move into a village then they don't have expectations of services that are not available. Yeah. Um, A really good example is when you push your emergency button, is there someone on site that's going to respond or is it going to a call centre? Yeah. Yes, that's a very good one. And Mm. there's pros and cons for each, but Mm. you need to know the answer to that before you actually hand over, you know, your life savings and purchase Mm. a unit.
0: Yeah, that's true, yes. Mm. And the financial obligations and costs associated with moving into living and moving out of a community. Yeah, that's Mm.
3: really important that people are clear on what it costs them to move in, what bills they'll get once they've moved in. Um, A good example is rates, council rates. Mm -hmm. Um, It depends on the village as to whether they're... Um, you will receive your own council rates and have to pay them or whether they're actually going to become sent to the village and they come out of your common service fee. And a lot of that's tied to whether or not you have title. But um, rates are a really good example of something you need to understand. Yeah, it's a
1: good thought because I hadn't considered yeah. that myself. Actually,
2: yeah, And when you drill down yeah. to the detail at the village, Glen, we do pay the rates in the monthly charge for everybody to the pension concession level.
0: Oh,
2: so okay. 80% of our residents are pensioners, <coughs> so their service fee pays their rates, but 20% aren't. Mm-hmm. So they have to pay us the concession. Oh. So if you weren't clear on that at the start, mm. you, you'd be upsetting people because yes. you said it pay for the rates and actually I'm not a pensioner, therefore I've got to pay the concession. Now, the concession's about $250 yes. a year, I think, Kim, on council mm. rates. Yes. Mm. Mm. Going yeah. back in history, you know how the pension rates... Con- came in concession? No. Used to be 50%. Yeah. Did oh, it really? yes. the council concession wow. started off 50% mm. of the rate. Wow. And over the years it's whittled yeah. down, it's, and it's down. It's whittled down now it's Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's probably more like 20%. Yes. Yeah.
0: So Mm. I could imagine, you know, like, Mm. you know, everybody gets together for happy hour or whatever and they start (laughs) chatting over a few drinks and then it's, you know, oh, we got, you know, we had to pay our rates, what did you pay? And so I could see how things could really get out of hand. Mm. Especially if you're not aware. If you're not aware, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. And that's probably a really good example of
3: what not to do in a village because our have a happy hour. what happened? No, no a happy hour is twenty other residents that moved in at different times about their conditions. Yeah. Um, if I look at our village that we've purchased down in Rosebud, we actually have nine different contracts down there that have oh been God. purchased as part of this because people moved in at different times under different structures of the village historically. Course, yeah. mm. So when someone moves out, how their refund is calculated yeah. can be completely different to their neighbour. Yes. Um, Um,
0: And so this will stop that. This code will stop that. No, No? when you've signed a contract, that's Mm. what you... Um, That's what you you sign up to. This code will be really
3: clear and transparent about the contract you are signing up to. Okay. Um, Mm. And it is important not to compare someone Mm. that signed up to something 10 years ago or 20 Mm. years ago Mm. under different legislation at different times. And contracts,
2: Steve, do change because Mm. of legislation changes. Yes. Mm. So this contract wouldn't be retroactive then? Retrospective?
1: No. No. Yeah.
3: No, the code is what it is going forward to make it clear for people that are entering new contracts. Mm. Mm. um, What For this part of the code, entering new contracts going forward, um, the parts of this code that apply to people living in the village and leaving the village Mm. will of course apply to to people that are currently in situ. Mm. Is there
1: an option, like for example if someone came along and, and saw this being implemented that they might want to renegotiate their contract, is that possible or...?
3: I wouldn't think so. No. It would be unusual for anyone in a village to actually want to change Mm. a contract that they agreed to when they first moved in.
0: Mm. It would be a bit like changing your mortgage. Yeah, we'd be. You know, wanting to change the details on your mortgage after you bought the house, you know. Yeah, true. Good point. Mm. 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 Yes, very interesting. Okay, so what other points here will we look at? Disclosure, is yeah, the disclosure information
3: has to be provided. And we already provide now fact sheets for everyone that makes inquiries mm-hmm. and then once someone selects a unit, they yeah. get their individual disclosure statements. See, that's
2: mandatory in Victoria mm. since 2009.
0: and nine. Nine, I think, yeah.
2: But mm. it's not in other states. Wow. Yeah, so. It's
0: amazing, isn't it? How mm. can it be is not it it It's so different. So this, yeah. this
2: document, once again, the umbrella overarching, Yeah. whether it's compulsory in your act or not, we're saying the code says that you must do this. Yeah. Mm. Good yes. thing. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And
3: the fact sheets and disclosure statements are really important because that gives you something you can compare. So you can get a fact sheet from Village Baxter, a fact sheet from Village Glen, Mm -hmm. a fact sheet from Encore Living and Mm -hmm. sit down with the three of them in front of you and say, this is the fee for here, that's the fee for there, Mm. that's the fee for there. Yes. So it's
2: apples with apples, not apples apples with oranges. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that's how some people, you know, they get all this information here in Victoria, then they decide they'll go and live north? in, you know, northern Queensland warm weather and it's a whole different...
2: It is. uh, Yeah. (laughs) ...ball
0: game. And so, you know, they think they're going up there with these sorts of um, regulations and it's totally different.
3: It is very Mm. different. We
0: actually had a resident that moved from Queensland down
3: to us and the exit... Of her village up in Queensland was extraordinarily complicated. Really, um, mm. and even the way they pay stamp duty up there was different. And right. yeah,
0: so it is totally not comparable between the states at this point. Do you ever see a time when it'll it'll be just universal?
2: Well I'm thinking this document as I said at the start, will be a step to push us all down that path. Mm.
0: It would just make it so much easier for every everyone concerned, management Mm. as well as residents, surely. Mm. It will I don't think you'll ever get to a
3: point where every village and every contract will be the same because the structure of villages is so different. Mm. Depending on whether you have the title to your unit or you don't, or whether you've got a loan lease Mm. or an occupancy agreement Mm. just to occupy. Some of that stuff you'll never be able to have the same contract for each of those things because sure. yeah. it is very different. Yes.
0: Yeah. But
1: at least with this you've got a uh, document that you can all refer to. You do. So you've got an playing yeah. field. So regardless day, yeah.
3: of whether you own the title or you don't or you're just having yeah. an occupancy agreement or whether you've got a loan, mm. this says the minimum information you must be given mm. um, before entering a village so that you can make an informed decision. Mm. Yes, very good. Because village life is fabulous, <laughs> but we do want people to understand what it is they're moving into. Yes. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And just
0: just looking at this B one point nine, Peter and Kim, you know that that um, residents will be provided where possible um, and reasonable with information about any charges payable to third parties. So, just explain that one for us. That'll be electricity costs, um, whether or not you have
3: um, your individual water is metered to your unit or Mm -hmm. not. Um, at Village Baxter, that's not individually metered. Mm-hmm. Um, many other villages it is. Does so that cause a problem, that it's not individually metered? No, it just comes, the payment comes out of service fees. Okay. So it's all built into the service yeah. fee yeah. charge. we the
2: same. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not so, metered individually.
0: Mm-hmm. So Mary that lives on her own and showers once every two days, as opposed to a couple that live next door, that, that all balances out. It, it does. does. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It is all swings and roundabouts okay. with those things. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm. Yeah. And also with electricity,
3: a lot of villages like ours have embedded electricity networks mm-hmm. where we actually have one embedded network that bulk purchases electricity from the grid mm-hmm. and ah. then on
0: sells it back to residents at a significant discount. Mm. So in this environment with electricity and gas that we're in at the moment where you can negotiate, mm-hmm. uh, I'm assuming that villages negotiate the best possible Absolutely, deal they can being that yep. you've got so many yeah. users, you can negotiate at fingertips that bulk price. Yep.
3: much better than you can as an individual person living mm. in the
2: community. Mm. 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 Having said that, though, because of the retail code, mm-hmm. we are uh, unlicensed retailers basically in, in embedded networks. Yeah, and part of the retail code says that should someone wish to change retailers, mm-hmm. they must be able to. Now. That that hasn't happened in our village. No, it hasn't happened in But it could now, happen one like day. Mm. Um, but wouldn't that cause a, could, a huge... big headache. Yes. It yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, would. Yeah. We, they are given that yeah. opportunity. C- clearly, there's a few people talked about it. Yeah. Particularly of recent times, you get these... We all get these phone calls at 7 o'clock at night yes. saying, yeah. what are you paying for your power? We can do mm. 30% better. Yeah. Mm. Um, and they come and talk to me about it, and then I explain to them actually how... How we're protecting and they're getting their power, probably 50% discount, not 30%. Mm. Um, and mm. so far that's, that argument's worked for them. Mm. Um, but one day someone's going to say, no, I don't want to move. Mm. And when that happens, it causes a lot of grief. It mm. has. There is yeah.
3: a, every embedded network has a network energy manager yeah. that has been hand-walled hand that responsibility.
0: <laughs> if it ever happens, we all have to nominate one. Poor
2: person. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Do you see many villagers going solar?
2: Solar panels? Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Actually, you have?
3: We do. We have solar panels all done under that free government scheme some years ago. Okay. Mm, Um, And we're actually investigating another solar energy um, project for our aged care
0: facilities at the moment. Yeah. So
1: I'm guessing that's another way you're keeping those prices down. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Fantastic. Mm. Great. Okay, anything else we think we need to cover?
2: Uh, there is some more, Kim, isn't there? There is. Well, one of the rules things... Rules about pets and things. Yes, rules yeah. about pets. Oh. One thing
3: I did want to um, highlight was one of the things that villagers will be encouraging is people getting... Um, legal advice before entering into their contracts Mm. and that we will encourage them to. We can't force everyone to, Mm -hmm. um, but we can encourage you to take your contract, go and get independent legal Mm. advice. And financial Mm. advice. And financial advice. And financial advice is important when Mm. you're moving into a village where the unit price is substantially less than what you're going to sell your family home for Mm. because it can have pension implications. Oh, Oh, You're selling a million-dollar family home, buying a $500,000 unit. Yeah. What are you going to do with the other 500? Are you going to lose Travel? your pension? <laughs> Travel? Um, Give it to Steve. Yes. Or <laughs> under the, the new rules, put it into super. Mm. Yeah. Um, you can put 300 of it in there. So yeah. it is important to get Good financial person. advice. Mm. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Particularly for people that are pensioners that only own their home and have owned mm. the same home for 40 years, mm. yeah. it's not very difficult to tip up into that million dollar home bracket these mm. days true, on the peninsula. Very true. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. But yeah, the um, final thing is covering off some of the. Important hardy perennial issues about keeping pets, <laughs> visitors and guests, parking, disposal of rubbish. They're probably the four frequent flyer issues for residents <laughs> and <villages. laughs> um,
0: So we need to provide you clear information about that yeah. before you
3: move in. How mm.
0: do you cope with pets? Like, do you encourage the keeping of pets? I know pets are very soothing and therapeutic. and
2: We do. We do yeah? encourage. Yeah. Okay. Mm.
0: We encourage
3: cats and birds at Village Baxter yeah. and down in village, uh, Rosebud Village. If you have an enclosed backyard, you can actually have a small dog as well, okay. provided it doesn't bark and disturb the neighbours. Mm.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah, okay.
3: We and have I a guess, rather large
2: yeah. dog population at the village, Glenn. Do you? Mm-hmm. Mm, we do. Yeah. Yep.
0: And I guess the birds keep the cats from getting hungry. <laughs> no, <laughs> yes. I, just, I love cats. <laughs> I love cats. I don't have yes. one anymore.
3: And parking is always a good one yeah. to look at. Do you have a car park? Is it close to your unit? Mm, mm. And if it's an older village like ours where some of our units are all sort of pathways mm. between them, not roadways, in 10 years' time, where are you going to park to get your shopping to your unit? Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, it is important to reflect on those things first before mm-hmm. you move in rather than complaining in ten years time you can't drive to your unit to drop your shopping off. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yes. Is there a
1: limitation on visitors?
3: Visit this requirement with visitors that you've got to let uh, the village know, in our contracts, mm. if you've got someone staying with you for more than two weeks. Okay. Um, We're the same. Yeah. Okay. Mm. And most villages have something similar along mm. those lines, yeah. so you can't That's have understandable. your adult children move in with you when, yeah. they, when they don't have another house. Right, um, yep.
0: That could be a blessing in some
3: cases. Yes. <laughs> you no, know, you
2: can't
0: move in, it's
3: the rules. <laughs> yes. Although we, have, we have had
2: that where yeah. our mm. contract says that that can happen provided the family member or whoever is a carer.
0: Okay. And that's okay. Yes. Yeah. And
2: that carer has the same rights as a licensed resident. Yeah. But as soon as the person who's been cared for leaves the village, mm-hmm. that carer must leave. Yeah, yeah. fair enough. And one mm-hmm. of the things in our contract also says, I'm sure in Kim's as well, is re- our residents, the younger ones in particular, are travellers, yes. as you've just said. And, yes. and they head off for the winter. They've all gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, about twenty, thirty percent of a village has gone north. Mm-hmm. Um, and as as I mm-hmm. would... Yeah, uh, me <laughs> too. <laughs> huh? cruise, when are we yeah? leaving? <laughs> yes. uh, but what what they can't do is let anyone move in and be in their unit whilst they're, they're not gone. there. Right. So mm. they won't have visitors. Mm. But the visitors are their responsibility, mm. and mm. they need to play by the rules. Mm. Clearly, if they're not there, they can't supervise their visitors, so they're not allowed to visit. Yeah. So yeah. They're it's not, not the allowed Airbnb. to and yes. B. No, no subletting. Yeah. No, no yeah. subletting. <laughs> yeah. Exactly Fair right. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, we've come to the end. Of uh, mm-hmm. our time. That was really interesting and we're going to continue with this We uh, will in the future.
3: Next time we will look at... Living in the community. Yeah. Mm. We will, mm. yes.
0: Oh, but we're going to have a special next week and um, so that will be quite interesting too from the... Uh, Village Glen. The, At I'd Mornington, think. a yes. new facility. Yes, yes. Beautiful so that, new facility. Yeah. 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 Good seeing yes. that. Yes. Yes. yes, so Brendan's very excited about that. So Is he'll she? be back. He'll mm. be back and, and ready to do that. Yeah. So thank you Peter and thank you Kim for coming today and it's been really informative and we'll look forward to the next program. Fabulous, yeah, thank pleasure. you. Thank you. Thank you.
5: This is Art Double PFM and you're listening to The Age Stage. Thank you very much indeed, great to have your company today. I'm Brendan Telfer, with me of course is your presenter Paula Dunn, The Age Stage made possible by the Village Baxter, the Village Glen and On Call Living for that regional alternative. Paula, we're up to introducing our next guest.
0: Yes, yes we have Alan Sheffield with us, Brendan, and Alan is the co-founder and... Uh Chief Innovation Officer of my at my DNA, yes. so it sounds really exciting. So welcome, Ellen.
4: Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show, guys.
0: You're welcome. So tell us a little bit about what my DNA means and what what is it about?
4: Yeah. So look, um, yeah, look, we're in the world of DNA testing and genetics. So taking a simple mouth swab and from that piece of, um, I guess that simple sample, we can um, look at a whole lot of. We're interested in a whole lot of genetic factors that are important for people to to really aiming at helping them make more informed decisions about their health, um, their wellness and their lifestyle. And, um, Sounds you know, fascinating.
0: So, yeah, Sounds so fascinating. Yes,
4: it's all based on their DNA profile. Um, there's all of these wonderful insights we can start to um, have interesting conversations with people about.
0: So we're got, we're talking about um, diets today, with uh, especially in, at adult with older people, and yes. um, so how do, how does that connect with um, the DNA swab? What can yeah, you tell so people like, about that?
4: it's really interesting, I guess. Um, so there's there's really all. I mean, we've looked at studies from all over the world about how your genetics influences, um, you know, uh, I guess weight. You know people that are more prone to be putting on weight Mm. and also who people who are trying to lose weight. So Mm. there are about seven different markers that we look at that have been shown to be really important and can help people um, either uh, get better information about how to lose weight. You know, an example of that is that we look at things like um, appetite and hunger. So, you know, there are a lot of people that, um, you know, even though they would eat a normal standard meal, they tend not to feel full. I don't know whether you you fall into that bucket, but there are many people that, you know, they sort of finish their main meal, but they tend to feel, you know, there's a signal to the brain that doesn't actually tell them that they're full. So they tend to keep eating mm. and either go for more portions or snack and graze throughout the day. Or Yeah, that
0: that's interesting because I understand what you're saying because it doesn't matter how small a meal I have or, or what I eat. I must have. I, I feel like I need to have just a tiny, uh, whether it's a mint or something sweet afterwards. And and so, what you're saying is that possibly is a DNA effect.
4: Yeah, so. yeah. It could, it could be a. It could be basically there's a signal from your, you know, you've got your, your stomach to your brain that tells you that you're full. Mm. And some people um, get that signal, and there are other people that don't. And so they tend not to, even though they've probably eaten enough for the day, they mm. tend to keep. Knacking and eating, and obviously, if you eat more, you know, you eat too much, then you, you know, you tend to put on weight. So, you know, what that's just an example of one of the insights you can get that can basically help you then work out what strategies you can put in place to mitigate that. And there are studies that have shown, as an example, that if you go on, I guess, a higher protein diet, mm-hmm. then that's going to keep you fuller for longer. Mm. And so, if your problem is, you know, appetite that you overeat, then, uh, you know, that can keep you fuller and therefore. You tend to stay within your, you know, desired calories for the day. Uh,
5: Alan, um, Alan, I'm Brendan here. Uh, my DNA. Why are you getting into this particular area, or does my DNA does it have relevance across a number of, what, of of insights on what we're doing?
4: Yeah, no, well, so, I mean, look, you know, the, when we're looking at genetics and how it looks at all sorts of things, and this whole area of how we, how our genetics affects our sort of day to day lifestyle is really exploding in terms of research so you know we started in the area of giving advice about how your genetics affects the way you respond to different medications so you know we all know that two people taking the same medication can have very different responses yes,
0: absolutely. you know some
4: people yeah. get side effects and other people the medication doesn't work mm. and so that's actually we've been doing that for seven or eight years and in that time um, there's been a lot of research that's come out about how your genetics can impact Your nutrition and your wellness, and that's, you know, and that's where we, you know, nutrition and and the diet really comes to what foods can we eat. So the genetics gives us insights into how does the body process fat, how Mm. does it process carbohydrates and protein, and that sort of information. When you're armed with that, can help you make better decisions about what sort of diet you might
5: go on. Alan, these insights that you're getting at my DNA are they subject to ethnicity as well? Are you seeing a variation across different ethnic groups? For instance, we're told through studies in Auckland that the Tongan people have the greatest muscle mass of any peoples on Earth. Oh, uh,
4: really? Yes.
5: Yeah, yeah. Are you are you seeing um, keys to ethnicity here explaining weight loss retention, fat burning, efficiency yeah, and- of muscle?
4: Yeah, absolutely. No, it's absolutely. You can see, depending on where people come from, um, and their ancestry, you can see that those genetic traits follow through. So whether you're more prone to putting on weight or obesity for some people, and certainly there's some, you know, ethnicities in New Zealand that are, you know, got a much higher, um, uh, uh I guess incidence or issues with weight. Yeah. Um, and, you know, these things are genetic. So, uh, basically you inherit them from your parents and, And, you know, whether it's um, muscle power and how how easy it is for you to put on muscle when you go to the gym or whether it's related to how well you break down fat, there is a genetic reason for some of those things. I mean, Mm. even looking at, you know, different families, you can see that there are some families that are much leaner than others and their kids tend to be much leaner, not all of them. But, you know, if they've got the right genes, then they'll, you know, they might be more lean and therefore they've got, could have the gene that means they break down fat much more efficiently um, than than i guess another family so it is hereditary and we sort of know this but now we're sort of learning well now that we know this what can we do about it and and part of our role at my dna is looking at all the evidence and all the studies and trying to see well what can we say and it turns out there's a lot of actionable advice and it's all uh, got a scientific basis to it, which is just terrific.
0: So you you would think that companies like your Weight Watchers or your Jenny Craigs or any of those sorts of organizations could in, perhaps in the future offer a simple DNA test before they allocate a, a, a diet? To yeah, the
4: absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's, it's really going from, I mean, a lot of diets that we try or we hear of or, you know, I mean, Uh, very much trial and error, you know. So, you know, if you ask anyone that's gone on a weight loss journey, they've tried this diet and then they tried that diet and then they got, they, they dropped, you know, they dropped carbohydrates out of their diet and then they went on a low calorie diet. So we know that one size doesn't fit all. Um, and then, you know, when you can find something that's more, I guess, suited to your body type, then you tend to get better results. And, and so what this is all about is going from this, I guess, trial and error approach to, a much more tailored and personalized approach to
5: what that eating plan could be. So sorry, so as I get older then, essentially my DNA can basically counsel me on what I should be eating, what food types and so on, but you're also going to be able to refine a wellness package for me as well in terms of what I should be doing as far as exercise is concerned and what my propensity might be for storing fats or, or burning them up.
4: That's right, absolutely. So we're, we're looking, you know, we're trying to take, you know, whatever's in the literature from a scientific point of view and say, well, now that, you know, these are some things that you can learn about yourself and then, you know, if you are, it does get harder to lose weight, you know, the older you get. But, you know, if you're going to go to the gym and you're going to do weight-bearing exercises, then let's make sure you're doing the right type of training so it's as efficient as possible, um, that it's sort of suited to your genetic makeup. And certainly in terms of what foods you eat, if you're going to be conscious about, you know, what you're eating and to mm-hmm. try and maintain weight or lose weight, then let's just make sure it's individualized to, to you. And yeah. and, that's, and that's really the whole idea. And, you know, there are studies that we've found that show that, you know, people getting much better outcomes by following that advice. And it's, it's not a quick fix, you know, it's not sort of saying go on this quick fix sort of fad diet it's sort of something that you can do
0: for the rest of your life it's quite Um, exciting though Alan, to think that you know when you look at the you know the rate of people having surgeries like gastric banding uh and you know situations like that that if if those sorts of if people looking at that could have a, a a dna swab done and then research and find out what sort of thing is really suitable, is that going to really solve their issue or is it simply that they need to drop carbs and, and have more protein, you know
4: what I mean? Yeah, yeah. 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 So that's really uh, exciting. Absolutely, I mean those sort of procedures are incredibly expensive and oh. obviously quite traumatic, Yes. you know, and and, um, you know, I mean for some people that still might be the only option but at least if you can understand what might work for you better then you're more likely to stick to it. In fact there was a really interesting study um, in the UK where you know, it was about that hunger and appetite gene that I mentioned where what they took a whole lot of people that, you know, were overweight, um, and then they told them their genetic results mm. and then they sort of measured, you know, before they told them the genetic results and after and, um, they noticed that the people that once they knew their genetic results, tended to eat a lot less, so they were much mm. more mindful of their portion control. Yes, um, so like know, see that, that, that. There's a genetic reason yeah. for yeah. overeating. Yeah. It's not yeah. just, you know, it's just not an emotional thing. Yes. Um, and um, so therefore, you know, they've been shown that that's been very, very effective. Um
5: So so this is more sort of preventative stuff, isn't it, rather than being the panel shop sort of fixing us up and getting us back out into our lifestyle. You're basically anticipating where we need to go. Could you imagine, Alan, then the future whereby you come in and start genetically engineering us to make sure that we are on the straight and narrow? (laughs) Mm.
4: Mm. Yeah, well, I don't know about that, but I think we'll, you know, I mean, you know, I think it's around our whole, uh, I guess, mission is around trying to give people trying to empower people with the knowledge so you know that they can make better and more informed decision when it comes to their health. So, mm. you know, a lot of the advice that they're following um might be just based on how the average person responds or what they might have a friend of them, you know, was very successful on a particular diet. Yes. Um but based on their you know, their particular mm. um conditions and their health, any health issues, you know, this is something that they can at least know that um has you know, might work better for them. Um, and then, obviously, depending on you know if they've got diabetes or other mm. health-related issues, they should discuss that with their doctor and try and try and come up with a plan that's one practical and sustainable that uh, for the long term.
0: So, Ellen, where would we go to find out if we wanted to have a DNA test done?
4: Where do yeah, we well, go? So, yeah, look, so I mean, look, we've got a number of participating pharmacies that are trained up in the area. Okay, um, in especially around. I've had a look at. Um, there's quite a few, in, you know, in terms of your, the customers, you know, around Mount Eliza and Suncred, okay. um, Somerville, yep. Frankston. I'm so just looking at a few could we of just go
0: to a website, your website? Yeah,
4: so if you, if you go to our website, www.mydna.life, yep. and they can find a pharmacy that's closest to them. Okay. Um, or they can just order it online, but yes. they can also discuss it with their local pharmacy and see if it's right for them, yeah. Yep.
5: And it's then and just... Then just a matter of a simple swab, I guess, from the inside of the yeah. mouth. Yeah,
4: mm. it literally takes ten seconds. They they can do the swab there in the pharmacy, and then effectively the results will be sent back to the pharmacist or the or, or themselves. And most of these pharmacies are also people interested in the medication related testing. They can mm. they can ask the pharmacist about that too. That might be relevant, and they can do the lot. Yeah.
5: Alan Sheffield, who is the co-founder and chief innovation officer of MyDNA, thank you very much indeed uh, for speaking with us today on the H stage, Alan. Thanks, Alan.